Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. What God did from the very beginning was give us this liberty to choose him. But what has happened is many of us, as long as we're on this side of heaven, have chosen others. All of us are sin, are sinners. As long as we're on this side of heaven, we're born into a world of sin. We live in a world of sin. Nine point nine, 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 nine percent of the times we're going to commit a sin. Now, my sin may not be your sin. Meaning my sin could be worse than your sin. That's the real story. But sin is sin in the eyes of God. And as long as we're on this side of heaven, God hopes that even in in, in the transmission of our sins and the things that we go through, that in the very end, we choose him. Now, God has a great vision for all of humanity. Here's how this is going to work today. I'm going to break down God's vision. I'm going to share with you his promises to help you see how he plans on achieving that vision. Then I'm going to share how we, the church, falls into being an active participant in in fulfilling the vision that God has. If you have your Bible, you can meet me over in the book of 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. The book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 4. And I love this particular one because this this is Peter. This is like the Peter. This is Simon Peter. This is the one who walked with Jesus. This is the same Peter that we know about that denied Christ three times. This is the Peter who writes a letter to the churches to encourage him. And this is what he says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, And because of his glory and his excellence, he has given us great and precious promises these are the promises that enable you to share this divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires i'll say that again and because of his glory and excellence he meaning god has given us a great and precious promises these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires In other words, from the very beginning, God made promises to all of us. He made these promises, but not just for the sake of being self-fulfilling. He made promises not just for you to to just feel good. Uh, He made promises not for you to, 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 for your own sake. God made promises with a purpose, and that purpose is connected to you participating in his divine nature. So that you're not distracted by the temptations of corruption and and, and worldly or personal desires. Here's God's vision. God's vision is that we all grow. 
Uh, that's funny, right? That's quiet on that one. God's vision is that we all grow. God's vision is that we all grow individually. God's vision is that we all grow relationally. God's vision is that we all grow numerically. And when I say grow numerically, I'm speaking, I'm, I'm specific here. I'm speaking of the body of Christ. God's vision is that we all grow individually, that we all grow relationally, and that we all grow numerically. Really quick, I'll show you examples of how that plays out scripturally. Uh, when I talk about God having us grow individually, well, he started with one human being. And that one human being, he, he put him to sleep. God created the heavens and the earth and he said it was good. He created the animals and all of these things and he said it was good. The only time that God paused and said, hold on, this ain't right. Something is wrong. This is not good was when man was by himself. He said, it is not good that man. That's the only time ever since from the stars to the moons to the animals, everything was good till he saw that the man was by himself. So he grew him individually by plucking from him the rib and created woman. He wanted them to grow relationally. So that means two parts. He wanted them to grow relationally in the sense that he created man and woman so that they could multiply the earth. So that there would be increased. They would make a nation. But he also wanted them to grow relationally. He wanted them to grow relationally. So when God created man and woman, he's saying to all of humanity, I've created two of you so that you would always depend on each other. Notice what he called the woman. He called her the help meet. That's what she was designed for, the help meet. But don't get it twisted. This has nothing to do with marriage. It has everything to do with relationship, partnership. So when he created the woman, he's saying, when I create another species, when I create another human being, it's so that the other human being could be your helpmeet. What am I saying to you all? God wants us to grow individually. Then he wants us to grow relationally. Relationally means that your neighbor should be your helpmeet. All humankind, all human should be your helpmeet. He created us to be in relationship together or else he would have just left it with Adam and said, Adam, you good? Because this is how I went. Before he created the woman, he already gave Adam animals. And he says, this is okay, okay. I see you having fun with the animals, but something about this ain't right. He intentionally created another human being for the purpose of procreation, but also for the other purpose of relation. So that we can be in relationship. There's no such thing as a growing Christian outside of the regular fellowship of other believers. So God wants us to grow individually. He wants us to grow relationally. He wants us to grow numerically. Well, how does that play out numerically? Well, we look at what happened with Adam and Eve. They had kids and nations were built as a result of that. But let's talk about it from the, from the position of the church. Since I opened with Peter for whom God said he would build his church upon. Jesus said he would build his church upon Peter. So let's talk about this, how this looks numerically. Well, Peter was in a room with 120 people praying. Bible says they were all on one accord. They had everything in common. The Holy Spirit greets them. Peter leaves with the 120 out the room. Everybody is out during this festival is going on. Peter grabs the mic, starts preaching like he had been doing it his entire life, which he wasn't. He preached so well, the Bible records how many were there that became Christians that day. According to the Bible, 5,000 people became believers that instant. 
Then it didn't stop there. The Bible says they continued to meet on one accord. They continued to sacrifice according to Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. They sold their possessions. They met every day at the temple for prayer and participating in the Lord's Supper. They were on to something. And then it ends with this in chapter 4 in verse 47 says, And God added to their numbers daily. What does that say? God wants us to grow numerically. He wants us to grow relationally. That's how this is played out in the book of Acts. And he wants us to grow individually. How do I know that? Because Peter had never preached like that before. He steps out for the very first time in front of a crowd and preaches and instantly thousands follow. This is God's vision. This is God's plan. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. Healthy things grow. God never intended us to stay where we started. If that was the case, all of us would still be babies. He shows it even through the natural things that sometimes we overlook. A seed never remains a seed. If it's taken care of, if it's healthy, if it's water, if it's implanted in good soil, a seed becomes something that outlives us. And the seed for the church was planted with Peter long ago. Healthy things grow. That is God's vision for the church. Growth is essential, my brothers and sisters, as long as there's a heaven and a hell. Growth is essential as long as there's a heaven and a hell because we all need to be growing to a place where we are guaranteed the rites of passage beyond the pearly gates of heaven. As long as there's a heaven and a hell, growth is essential. Here's God's vision for his people is that lost people would be saved and that saved people would be pastored and that pastored people would be discipled and that discipled people would be mobilized. Don't miss that. That lost people would be saved. Saved people pastored. Meaning somebody's teaching them, somebody's covering them spiritually, somebody's guiding them through scripture. And that pastor people would be disciple, taught how to disciple other people. That's what we mean. Trained on how to disciple and evangelize and share the good news with all of humanity. And then that disciple people will be mobilized. Now, mobilization doesn't just mean going out into the streets. That's part of it. But mobilization is also growing and being promoted right where you are. It's growing in your church. If you come in as, a, as, as an unsaved person and you receive Christ, you got to understand God wants you to be promoted. He wants you to be serving. Remember, he gives the example even through Jesus Christ who came. I came. He said this. Watch this. He says, I came that I may serve and not be served. Now you're probably wondering, okay, Pastor B, what does all of this have to do with that video clip you just showed a while ago? And let me explain that to you. What was happening here in that video clip of the Last Supper was the very last meal that Jesus would take with his disciples that he'd been on, on mission with for three years. And what happened here was what we call the Passover meal. And, and, and there was a series of events that happened in this room where they were eating this last meal that they will partake in together. Right before this, Jesus gives the illustration and the physical example of what it means to serve others instead of being served. Uh, you don't see the clip, but if you want to read the Bible or if you don't want to do that and you prefer uh, movies, you may watch this movie because it's almost a pretty, pretty 
concise with the uh, explanation. Jesus bends down right before they have a meal and takes on the lowest position that you can take of a household. He puts on, on, on a towel around his waist, bends down, fills a basin full of water, and washes the feet of all 12 of his disciples. Now, why is that significant, Pastor B? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's significant because that position was the lowest position in a household. In other words, if you were a servant of a household and that was your position, you were on the lowest part of the totem pole. Oftentimes, people who were promoted, this is how they got demoted to the position of foot washer before our guests. When a guest came in, they, they had to have their feet washed before they sat at the table. Now, what does that mean? Well, they didn't wear Timberlands. They didn't wear these nice uh, shoes that you and I wear. They wore sandals. They walked a lot. And in their walking a lot, they walked through dirt. And in their walking through dirt, sometimes they walked through dung. You know what dung is. That's poo-poo. And what did that mean? Jesus, with the 12 people. Now, Jesus, and only God and Jesus knows the places they went, the stuff they walked through. And Jesus, the son of God, the, the, the Messiah, the risen Christ, comes here, bends down, washes their stinky, dirty feet. I would take off my sock right now and say, well, one of y'all washed my feet. All of y'all would frown. And I washed my feet this morning. I even cut my toenails. But none of y'all would wash my feet, and they're clean. They've been protected by these shoes and my socks. But none of you would wash my feet. I don't have athlete's feet or nothing. But y'all wouldn't do it. Jesus, as an example, as an illustration of what it means to serve and not be served, demonstrates that before this last Passover meal. But he doesn't stop there. He sits with them, and they're eating. And he says, you know what? Y'all have hung out with me for three years. I know I gave y'all the greatest commandment. And the greatest commandment is to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And second to that is to love your neighbor as yourself. But you know what? Before I go, I've got to give you something else. I'm going to give you a new commandment. Greater than even those. Love one another the way that I have loved you. Now these disciples had to pause for a minute and say, well, how has he loved us? We've hung out with them for three years. We've not lacked any, anything. We ate good. One of us had the opportunity to walk on water. He sacrificed a lot. He had to leave his own hometown because they were beating him up. He sacrificed himself for us. Love each other the way that I have loved you, meaning love sacrificially. In other words, how has Jesus loved them up to this point? In this very instant, he loved them so much that he became the least of these. Love the way that I loved you. I put y'all before I put myself. And what he's saying is, put others before you put yourself. Love the way that I have loved you. That's the new commandment. That's the new commandment because there may be days where you don't love yourself enough to love your neighbor. But if you love the way I love, it's never ever about you. It's always about them regardless of how you feel today. That's an amen moment. So this is what he's saying. He says, he says, this is my vision. Lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people disciple, disciple people mobilized. He says, and I'm going to give you a promise. So while they're doing this four cups, this Passover meal was known as the Passover cedar. Let me explain to you right now how that works, because this is where you find the promises. So while they're doing these four cups, they're taking this communion, which is the Passover meal. 
The Passover meal goes like this. It was the Passover cedar, which means the order. The Passover would be done to tell the story of the exodus of God's people from Egypt. In Jewish tradition, and this was a Jewish ceremony that they were participating in, four cups of wine would be poured. We only notice one. I'm going to pause right there for a minute. We only notice one on the screen that we just watched, and in certain scriptures, you only see the mention of one. But if you have time, I dare you to jump over to Matthew and read the communion story there, the Last Supper, and you will see that the scripture tells us very clearly that Jesus poured the wine, then it says this, then he poured another cup of wine. The Passover meal happened this way. There would be four cups. There would be two cups that they would drink of wine before the meal. Then right after that, they would drink two more cups of wine. Each cup represented something uh, that happened in their time. They would recite with each cup uh, a passage of scripture from Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. I'm going to read that for you real quick, and then I'm going to tell you how this all applies to us. Exodus 6, 6 through 7 says this, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. These, my brothers and sisters, are called the four I wills. This is what they recited after each and every cup. These, my brothers and sisters, are the four promises that God makes. And what I'm going to share with you over these next few minutes here before we go is how God intends for that to happen. Now, let me tell you something about a promise. A promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. So God made four promises. In other words, says four offers with four guaranteed results. No, it's not a money back guarantee. You're not going to get anything back because it's going to happen. You don't need to ask for anything back. It's four with a guaranteed result. Four promises with a guaranteed result. Okay? Y'all with me so far? The first cup is what we call the cup of sanctification. This is the promise that God has made to those in e- that were enslaved in Egypt. And he makes this to us. The first cup is the first cup. It's called the cup of sanctification. The cup of sanctification. We find this in that verse. It says, therefore, verse six, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. What does that mean? That is the first symbol of salvation. That is the first symbol of salvation. He saved them from the oppressor. And that applies to every single one of us. He saves us from our oppressor. Well, who is our oppressor? Satan himself. God saves us from Satan. He saves us from the bondage of sin. He saves us so they would drink the first cup of salvation, okay, which is the cup of sanctification. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. You find that in the, in the same verse, but the B section of it, if you will. He says, and I will rescue you from slavery in Egypt. So the first cup, catch this. He says, I will, what? Therefore, I say to the people, I am the Lord. I will free you. That's salvation. The second one is the cup of deliverance. I will rescue you. Verse one has, watch this, has everything to do with taking you out of something. Okay. Verse 2 has everything to do with taking something out of you. Because here's what happened. They were free, but they still acted like slaves. 
They were released from the bondage of slavery, but they still walked around oppressed. Am I speaking to a few people this morning? Many of us, God has saved us from a lifestyle of sin, but we still turn to that sin to fill a void. A great example of that would be Peter, who was a great fisherman. Uh, Bible tells us that was his occupation. Jesus walks up on him and says, I'm going to make you my disciple. Drop your net, come hang with me. He tells him, I'm going to build this thing called the church, and I'm going to build it on your name, because your name means church. I mean, your, main, your main name's rock. I'm going to build the church on the rock called you, Peter. Peter denies Christ three times. Felt guilty about it. Christ returns from heaven, hangs out with the disciples. Peter still doesn't get it. Gets to a point where Peter's like, I just give up. I'm going to do what I used to do for my satisfaction and my provision. Peter goes out and casts the net. Couldn't catch a doggone thing. The brother couldn't catch wind or seaweed. But then once God, Jesus spoke to him, he, he ordained. He says, Peter, you're not getting it. See, when I rescued you out of the bondage of self-dependence and, 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 and independence uh, and I'm wanting you to be dependent on me, now is the new covenant. I need you to depend on me. So guess what? I'm going to ordain for you to be able to catch fish. So listen to what my voice says. Throw your net on the other side. Peter threw the, or, the net on the other side and it was filled beyond capacity. What does that mean? He had to deliver Peter from his old self, remind him of his new self, and your new self is 100% dependent upon Jesus. Peter had to go through this process of being delivered. Some of us do the same thing. I often say it this way. You can take the hood out of somebody, but sometimes it's hard to take. You could take somebody out the hood, but sometimes it's hard to take somebody, take the hood out of somebody. Y'all get what I'm saying? I see billionaires all the time. I mean, you know, these athletes, I mean, big time billionaires and, and they, they, they're doing the doggone thing. But they be like, I'm like, you are you've made it. Ain't nothing wrong with ramen noodles, but you can let them go now, bro. You don't, you don't have to rely on that no more. You got more money than than any of us can count. Your actions need to change. And the same thing with Christianity. You can't, <laughs> you can't call yourself uh, uh, going to certain places saying, oh, I'm just going there to evangelize. <laughs> I'm going to lay hands on some people <laughs> with my special oil. No, God has called you. He set you apart. You are a new creation. You can't go back to your old ways trying to feel certain things. And many of us walk around life trying to figure out why ain't nothing changed because you're still doing what you've been doing before you were saved. God has delivered you from that. Here's the third cup they would drink from. It's called the cup of redemption. It says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. You got to understand what redeem is. To redeem is to buy back. To redeem is to buy back. God purchased you back from the world of sin. He's already purchased. He's given. Watch this. That happened when his son died on the cross. When he died on the cross, guess what else died on the cross? Your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. You've been bought back by the blood of Jesus Christ. He redeemed you. So they would drink this cup and say, okay, we've been redeemed. We no longer have to worry about Egypt. Fourth cup was the cup of praise. He says, I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. The cup of praise, my brothers and sisters, in case you didn't know, let me educate you. You notice that in the church, we only drink one cup. 
or that cup that we do in our in our last supper meal in our in our communion in these holy sacraments that cup that we partake of is the cup of praise when we take communion which we will do today we're doing it to praise God for what he has delivered us from for saving us for redeeming us and so when we do this in the, in the local church, in the Western church, the one cup that we do is the cup of praise. It's our moment of reflecting of, of God and, and, and him sending his son Jesus who died on the cross for you and I and our past sins and present sins and future sins. We're on the cross with him. So we'll partake of that. So that's, those are the four cups. Y'all with me? Now, the four cups, how does this apply to you and me? The four cups represent the progression of God's plan of reconciliation. And he wants to do this through the church. That's what I mean by that. All of these promises he made, his vision to see lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people discipled, discipled people mobilized. There's only one source. There's only one tool. There's only one path that God has created that he wants to happen and that is through the local church. Now, just for clarification, when I say that, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the body. See, God never called us to build buildings. He called us to build people. Never called us to build buildings. Always called us to build people. But the thing about the building is God never shuns buildings because if you think and read the Old Testament, he asked that they would build an ark, uh, build a temple for the ark of the covenant. He wants us to have buildings, but the buildings should be epicenters of training disciples. Are y'all walking with me this morning? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying, I want to do these things. I want to fulfill the four promises I have for my people. But I want my local church to be the instrument, the vehicle, the vessel in which this happens. Are y'all with me this morning? Joshua 21.45, if you have your Bible, you can, you can meet me over there. It talks about God's and his promises. Joshua 21.45, watch this. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Not a single promise was left unfulfilled. And here's what I'm saying to you people here at Mosaic Church, those listening under the sound of my voice. Every promise God has made to us, every promise that he made to the people in Israel is still available to us and will be fulfilled. But we have work to do on our side to be the partakers of the fulfillment of the promise. Hebrews 6, 17 and 18 is another reminder of God's, prom, of God's uh, promise to fulfill what he said he's doing. Hebrews uh, 6, 17 through 18. We're almost done. God has also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. That's good. So God has given both his promise and an oath. Paul's right there. Paul is mentioning this at a very critical time. An oath meant it was unbreakable and only breakable by death. So he's saying, he's saying not only did God give us a promise, 
But he gave us an oath which is unbreakable because we know that God can't die. His son went, but he's not dead. We're waiting for his return. So he said he gave us an oath that is completely, infinite, infinitely unbreakable. Forevermore, it's unbreakable. Watch this. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. All of us can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. He's given us a promise. He's made an oath that's completely unbreakable. But the only way we can miss it is if we miss it. (laughs) The only way it doesn't work is if we don't work. God's promises are forevermore. We have work to do. So how does that work? So it works for us this way. Let's talk about Mosaic Church. Mosaic Church, this is our mission. Very simple. It's to reach, teach, serve, and love. To reach people that are far from God, to reach people who are lost, to reach people who've given up on God, uh, to teach them about the good news, the gospel, to, 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 to serve them uh, with our talents and our gifts and to love them to the point where we show them what the promises are of God for their life, to present purpose before them. That is our mission to reach, teach, serve and love. Watch this. That is what we do. Our vision is what is the why. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Our vision is what we do. We, I mean, I'm sorry about that. Our mission is what we do. Our vision is the why. Why do we do that? Why do we reach, teach, serve, and love all these people? Because our vision is to lead people to an authentic relationship with Christ, to help them change the world. Our vision is the why. This is why we do what we do, to lead people to an authentic relationship with Christ, to help them change the world. That ties directly up to the vision of God to see saved people, to see lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastor people disciple, disciple people mobilized. That's our way of doing that is to lead people to an authentic relationship with Christ to help them change the world. Success, my brothers and sisters, is when people are moving on their spiritual journey that God has planned for them. Success is when people are moving on that spiritual journey that God has planned for them. Success at Mosaic Church for us is this way. This is how we do it, and I'm almost done. Success here, Mosaic Church. We move people from lost to saved by creating a service where they can experience God. We create a service not where they can experience music. We create a service not where they can just have good coffee. We create a service, not where we can just hang out. This service is so you can experience God. That's the purpose of us assembling together, is that you would experience God. We create that service here at Mosaic Church because our desire is that more than anything is that you experience God. I really applaud, I really love people when they come up and say, man, wow, that was a good word. But my main question all the time, did you experience God? I'm a poet. I'm going to speak to you feel good, but did you experience God? Did you experience Broderick, Maurice, Santiago, or did you experience God Almighty? There's a difference, a big difference. And my desire is that you experience God. It really gets under my skin when people walk up to the worship team and say, man, that was a good show. And I look at them and say, well, then where's the admission fee? Because if this was a show, I'd charge you at the door. 
And don't you dare say uh, tithe and offering is that. I ain't charging you that. That's God. If this is a show. Believe me, it'll be a hefty cost for you to participate. They're not up here entertaining. They're worshiping. That's what they're called to do. That is their vocation. That is what God has set them aside to do is to worship and to help you experience God through worship. It's not entertainment. None of what we do is entertainment. I know I get crazy. I know I jump off the stage sometime and whatever, but it's not for your entertainment. It's not the wow factor. It's for you to experience God. The second thing we do is we move people from saved to pastored by asking them to what? Commit to relationships and join a small group. I'm not, listen, who am I to think that I'm great as God to reinvent the will? God already set it up. He created the will. He says, I want y'all to be in relationship. That's why I I said it wasn't good when Adam was by himself because I wanted him to have somebody to be in relationship with. God sees relationship two ways. If you don't know this, catch this right here. He sees two ways, relationships two ways. He sees relationship this way and this way. This way is between the relationship between you and him and the relationship between you and his people. That's the only way God sees relationship. It's this way between you and him. And you and his people. He expects us to be in relationship. He desires it. He requests it. And so at Mosaic Church, we're like, listen, we have these wonderful things called small groups. It's not so we can have programming. We don't have small groups to say, oh, look at us. We got small groups. No, it's so that you can what? Grow individually. Grow relationally. Grow numerically. Man, that sounds good. Broderick, you kind of on to something. No, I'm just reading the Bible. This is all for you so that it could benefit him. (laughs) Y'all got quiet on me. That's okay. I'm going to keep on preaching. Three, we move people from pastored to discipled by helping them discover and develop their spiritual gifts. If you've gone through the growth track here at Mosaic Church, which is our assimilation process, we, we actually walk you through the process and the assessment of discovering what God has gifted you with. We actually give you a spiritual gifts assessment as well as a personality assessment. It's not for us. We don't benefit. It's for the kingdom of God. Because many of us walk around just like, why do I exist? And I will tell you today, the greatest two days of a person's life are the day they were born and the day they discover why. The two greatest days of a person's life, the day they're born and the day they discover why. Well, at Mosaic Church, if you go through our assimilation process, we're going to help you discover your why. You will understand that God gifted you with a special gift. And it's not so you can make a whole bunch of cheddar. That's money. (laughs) But it's so that you could build the kingdom, so that you could give him glory, to give him honor, so that you can bring more people into right relationship with him. This is why he gave it to you. If you make money and doing it as well, amen. But somehow, some way, there's got to be a God connection to that. That's why he gifted you that thing. You didn't have to ask for it. He gave it to you. Here's the fourth and final thing. We move people from disciple to mobilize by involving them in ministry with others. We move people from discipled to mobilized by involving you in ministry with others. We don't get up here asking you to serve because we need bodies. Listen, I would rather not have a ministry than not have people serving. I'm not, I'm, I'm not begging people to serve. You can serve, cool, if you can't, whatever. If we don't have enough people, we just don't do that. 
We just don't. I'm just sorry. I just want to honor God with what he's called us to do. We plug you into ministry opportunities. So he's like, okay, this is what God has gifted me with. Okay, um, those, your first question should be, how can I make money with it? Your first question is, where can I serve with this? How can I reach the least of these with this thing that God has given me? And if money follows, then that's, that's cool. But how can I use this gift that God is giving me to serve his needs? Because he sees relationships between me and him and his people. Well, my active relationship with his people has a lot to do with serving. I just gave y'all the example that Jesus did with his 12 disciples, one of which he knew would betray him. Because that's the other part of the story. That day, that dinner, he, he points it out. He's like, hey, I know I just washed the funky feet of one of you guys that's definitely going to betray me. It was at that dinner where he said, hey, listen, Peter, I know I said I'm going to build a church on you, but you're going to deny me three times. It was at that dinner where all of this happened, yet he did not stop and be a representation or illustration of what it means to serve the least of these. He still washed their feet knowing that Peter would deny him three times, knowing that Judas would betray him. As a matter of fact, at the end of that meal, after they drank, he says, he looks over to Judas, he says, make it quick. Let's get this over with. Bible says, he says, don't be hastily. In other words, go get those people who are coming after me. I'm like, Jesus, if you knew the dude was going to do that, I wouldn't have, I would have like, that's like chopped his foot off or something. I mean, you knew the dude was going to betray you and you sat there and washed his feet. I think he's given us the example of how we got to love all people. He's given us the example of love your enemies. I may not agree with everything that's going on in our political world right now, but I pray for every single person responsible for this country. I pray. I have to. And that's what he's asking us to do. So anyway, in closing, I say this. As we get ready to partake, partake of these holy sacraments, you can stop that clock before it rings. Uh, I say this. If you're not active in a local church community, I charge you to, to look for a church, even if it's not this church, where you are active. And here's why. We look at all the hurricanes. We look at the, the threats of war. We look at all of these things that are happening right now. It's no coincidence. If you, want, if you really want a wake-up call, spend a little time in Revelation. Spend a little time in Revelation. And then read the media. And see if there's not a direct connection. My brothers and sisters, this is not a scare tactic. This is a reality check. We are in the end time. Jesus is coming back for a pure bride. We all have a promise of eternity. But where you spend eternity determines on which side you are on. It's not a scare tactic. It's a reality. So I urge you, find a church where you can be an example like Jesus, where you've not come to be served, but you've come to serve. 
thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.